Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the generosity with which you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Lord, right now, we come into your presence. You are here, Lord, and we come into your presence and we bring ourselves before you, seeking, Lord, that you will minister to us according to the power of the Holy Spirit through your Holy Word. So that, Lord, our faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Through Jesus we pray, amen. I know you are in a series called Stories of the Kingdom, and I've not been a part of the series, so I don't know in one sense how to jump into it, uh, except to jump into it as I have the opportunity and as I feel like swimming, right? My own stroke here, okay? So in Luke chapter 18, I just want to simply say the obvious, and that is, is that Jesus tells us a parable in order that we might pray and not lose heart. Pray and not lose heart. And how many times have you and I prayed and there seems to be no answer? And prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and not lose heart. So the admonition that Jesus said is continue to pray. Continue to pray, continue to pray because your Lord will hear. And of course, we enter the mystery of prayer and the mystery of answered prayer and the mystery of unanswered prayer. But I want to just assure you that underneath the mystery of unanswered prayer is the gift of answered prayer. And so as we continue to pray, God drives us deeper and deeper into what he genuinely wants to do in our lives by way of transformation what he wants to do through our prayers in the lives of other people. And God has a view that is much bigger than ours. We have a very temple and very temporary view, and God has an eternal view. And what I believe the Lord is telling us here in this passage is that as the children of God, that we should have confidence that God hears our prayers. And in his own way, in his own time, in his miraculous way and more profound time, God will answer our prayers. This is an incredible promise. Now, does that mean that we can demand out of God what we want? No. It means that God will drive us deeper to the point of what the transformation is. That God will take us deeper and deeper and deeper. And for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, particularly in this day, I think that that really causes us to reflect back on the fact of how much we pray according to our will and our desires and what we want to achieve in this life. We live in a world, in the United States of America in particular, in the West here, where we believe that somehow or another it is our right and our privilege to have all of our desires fulfilled. In fact, we've taken that to the ultimate extreme. We've we've gone further than we've ever imagined in history. In other words, I want God to baptize my desires. But Jesus will not be so well domesticated. Jesus is a disruptive force as well as a blesser. And he rebukes as well as blesses. And he rebukes in order to bless. 
to disrupt us from the blessing to the blessor, from what may be good to what is best, to drive us deeper and deeper ruthlessly until the fact that there is no greater love in our life but him. Because that is through which now we enter into a life of love. Persist in prayer because God wants to change you. God wants to change me. And that's the story of Genesis chapter 32. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. And again, I don't think this is necessarily the way that this service, uh, sermon series has gone. I think you guys have stayed in the Gospels, but like I said, I'm going to jump into Genesis as the application, the illustration in a person's life of Luke chapter 18. Jacob is an amazing guy. Uh, he is actually one of my two or three favorite pers- people in Scripture. Uh, I identify with him closely. That is not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob may be one of the most challenging and difficult men of God in the Bible. Because from the beginning of his life, he was a grasper. He was a holder. He was determined to grab blessings for himself. He was determined to measure the value of his life by the blessings that he received. He was determined above all else to get for himself what he believed he deserved and what was coming his way. The incredible thing about uh, Jacob is that before he was even born, God had already declared what he was going to receive. The promise was already there. It was already given to him. His parents both heard that blessing. And yet his parents, his dad, in his own way said, I'm going to find another blessing for another son. I'm going to shift this. I'm going to counter the will of God. And then his mother, in her own way, said, I'm going to guarantee the blessing of God for my son. And between the two of them, it became a home of incredible dysfunction, deceit, manipulation. And according to it reaches its climax in that moment when Jacob disguises himself as Esau and goes to his blind father and pretends to be who he's not. Asking for the blessing, right? Give me the blessing, give me the blessing. And when Jacob dresses Esau, goes to Isaac and says, give me the blessing, what does Isaac say? Who are you? And what does he say? I am Esau. I am Esau. And he pretends to be who he's not. And that starts Jacob on a road because what happens after then, of course, you know, Esau finds out about it. He goes nuts. Esau is sort of the Ryan Kildu of that story. <laughs> I think it's really funny. I'm going to talk about my staff in just a minute. But I have this staff like it that goes up here and I give it to Ryan Kildu and he's got the staff that's right down here. <laughs> hilarious. It's just hysterical. When does the staff of the bishop look tiny? In the hands of Brian Kildare, okay? <laughs> so Esau is angry and Jacob is scared and Jacob starts to run and there's this story that goes on for the next 20 years where Jacob's on the run basically. And he goes to this guy named Laban and he gets the daughter, you know, in other words, the first daughter is Leah that he gets and He's not, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been deceived 
by Laban, and he's determined to get what he wants. Again, I'm going to get what I want instead of... By the way, did you ever notice the fact that the promise of God through Jacob followed the line of Leah? Maybe at some point in time, Jacob might have understood to submit to God, to believe and trust God, but Jacob wasn't there yet. He was determined to get what he wanted. I'm going to find what I want. So he kept pushing, kept pushing. He got Rachel. And I'm not here to diss Rachel. Rachel was, she, she had her own walk with the Lord, her own issues that she needed to wrestle with. She had her own children. It all worked out. But I just cannot get away from the fact that God's promise came through the progeny of Leah. But that whole dysfunction just continued and continued and continued until finally, at the end of the time, because of Laban's injustice toward Jacob and toward the pressure that he received, Jacob found himself in a situation where he decided, I've got to end this story, uh, this misery of living in Laban's world, and I'm going back home. I'm going back home. But of course, going back home meant going back where Esau was. So he took all his wives and his family and all of his servants and his cattle and everything, and he started moving across from Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia back to Canaan. Gets to the edge of the promised land, and he is scared because he realizes, oh no, it's showtime. This 20-year grudge that's going on. And so he does this peculiar thing of sending messengers ahead and everything. But I want you to notice something that's extremely important. At the beginning of chapter 32, verse 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angel of, of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, and he called the place, the name of that place, Manhainam. Is God gracious or not? Has God made his promises? Does God keep his promises? Does God love us in spite of ourselves? Is our entire story a story of the grace of God, the undeserved blessing of God in our lives? Is the presence of God beyond our scope? Is it there even? Is he there even when we don't see him? Is he around us at all times? Brothers and sisters, if you own the name of Jesus Christ, the answer to everything I've just said is yes. 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 God is there. God is present. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not know it, but God is present. God's promises will be kept. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Now what we do not understand is what those promises particularly will look like by way of blessing, and that's what my whole point is. We think it's this and God says it's this. I think it's this and he says, why are you settling for so little? Let me take you deeper. Let me take you where you will not know how to go. In Jacob's life particularly, he believed that the promise was the, bless, the, blessing, uh, the, promise was the blessing of the land and living in the land. Was it yes? Yes, it was. God secured that. God had already promised it. It was the blessing of being in the line of the covenant of Abraham. God secured that. God promised it ahead of time. But then because of Jacob's own frustration and distress and determination, God said, I want to take you deeper, and that's what's happening here. He sends his wife, children, wives, excuse me, 
Generally, in our world, we only have one wife. But anyway, this is one, by the way, it's kind of humorous. I just got back from a, a week of, uh, with 13 bishops from Africa and, um, and, and Myanmar. And every time a bishop from Africa or Myanmar says, I am the they will introduce themselves, I'm so-and-so and so-and-so, and I'm the husband of one wife. <laughs> and two or three of them said, and my dad, my father, as an example, had six. <laughs> And my father had three, but I have only one. <laughs> and Jacob had two. And all these children, he sends them ahead, and then he stays there. And I believe that Jacob stayed at that edge of the brook of Jabbok simply because he was paralyzed with fear. And he had to say, I'm going to spend an evening by myself. I'm going to get my act together. <laughs> I'm going to muster up the courage that I need. And unbeknownst to him, God had a bigger plan. Jacob was left alone, and suddenly a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hit was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So one of the things that was really going on here, it's very fascinating to me, is, is that this man came to Jacob, wrestled with him, and spent the entire night wrestling. There came a point in time when the man touched Jacob's hit and completely dislocated it, revealing at that moment in time to Jacob, this guy is a lot more powerful than I thought he was. What did the man do to wipe out Jacob's hip? In the Hebrew, it's a very technical term. He touched him, <laughs> like touched. <laughs> Jacob was undone, and he knew he was in the hands and holding on to somebody who had powers and opportunities and abilities far beyond the human. And so what did Jacob do at that point in time? He held on even tighter. He held on even tighter because if there's one thing you know about Jacob, he was determined to be blessed. He'd spent his whole life trying to make it happen. So, I will not let you go, he says to this angel of the Lord, who, by the way, is Jesus Christ in an Old Testament manifestation. I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel of the Lord said, what? What is your name? When is the last time that Jacob had held on to somebody without letting go and said, I will not let you go till you bless me? It was his dad. And he said, what is your name? And he lied to him. Now he holds on to the angel of the Lord, and he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. And the angel of the Lord says, what is your name? And the answer is what? My name is Jacob. My name itself is my confession of who I am. Because my name itself means deceiver. My name itself means supplanter. I am the deceiver. And at that point in time, God opened up the blessings of heaven because finally Jacob had come to the place of acknowledging who he truly was.
And the fact that at that point he knew confessedly that he had spent his life trying to manipulate the world for his good. And now he is in the hands of God, and he says, God, only you can bless me, and I will not let you go till you bless me. Now, God had promised him blessings all along. But what had happened? Why had it taken so long? Why had there been such an, an ordeal to get us there? Because God knew Jacob needed a deeper work in his heart. A deeper work in his heart that required a breaking and an honesty and a reality of who you really are. Dear brothers and sisters, why do we have to pray and not give up? Because God is calling us to greater and greater faith to hold on to him to the place that we are revealed, that we are revealed, that we know who we are. And at that point in time, in a greater and more profound way, we will always know that it is not about us, it's about God. And the greater blessing is to know him and to be changed and to be transformed. Scroll ahead and think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. I have laid everything aside and all my achievements and everything that I want to make me feel good about myself, everything that I need, everything that I've achieved, I have only one passion now. And that is to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to know the, and be, to be conformed to his death. I will hold on. I will grasp on. This one thing I will hold on to, I will hold on to Jesus who is already holding on to me. I will grab on to what has already been grabbed on for my sake. Jesus and his grace is prior to every blessing we seek. In his grace, he knows the greatest blessings we need. So we hold on in prayer, and we labor in prayer in order that we might know Jesus, and we might know him in the context of knowing ourselves. And we might find his grace and his love poured out upon us in the depth of our brokenness and our humanity. At that point in time, God changes Jacob's name. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel, the one who wrestles with God and holds on and prevails and never lets go. And from then on, it's interesting in the Old Testament, do you know the favorite name that God uses for himself? The God of Israel, the God of Jacob. That is the number one name in the Old Testament for God. It's like God says, I want everybody in the world to know that I identify with the Jacobs of the world, and I change their names. Can I say something? I'm a Jacob. How many of you are Jacobs? Yeah, we are, aren't we? And we are invited by Jesus in Luke chapter 18 to hold on, to know, to know, to know that there is no other place, and if nothing else is going to happen, if we don't see any other answer to prayer, what we will see is the deepest transformation of ourselves so that we will become the people whose names are changed. May it be so by the power of God.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.